Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and A Private View is coming to you from Woolwich. We're in the studio of Ray Richardson, ahead of his solo show, Hey Baby, What You Know Good, at Bow Arts, that's 40Q Green, TW93AZ, info at bowartslondon.uk. It's by appointment, and the opening is on the 14th and 15th of October. Richardson is well known for his ability to paint mood. His razor sharp titles are a nod to a fascination with film and television. Think of Get Carter, a 1971 British gangster film starring Michael Caine. And you see these East End gangsters, there's a camaraderie in a male dominated world, softened by the inclusion of an English bull terrier named Brian. That's his muse, and Brian's with us today, too. Hi, Ray. Hi, Maeve. How are you doing? All right, not bad, thank you. You got a show opening up soon, yep. and it's called Hey Baby, What You Know Good. Yep. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's a, that's a line out of a Marvin Gaye song from the classic album What's Going On from about 71, and it's just a line out of a track. I, well, I like the whole album, because it, it was a weird album for Motown. They didn't want to release it because it was like almost like a concept album and it wasn't your regular up-tempo Motown tambourine stuff, which I don't mind, but this was a song that was about political and social issues and about the Vietnam War. And and it was Marvin Gaye seeing, say, America through his brother's eyes. I think his brother's name was Frankie. And it was a this particular song is, is kind of relating to when Frankie came back from Vietnam and then he came back to his local neighborhood and I guess it's about how places change and if you're away for a while, he came back, so he's kind of going, you know, people still hanging out where we used to go and dance, but everything changes, you know what I mean? And it doesn't matter, it doesn't need a war for that to happen, that's just life sort of thing. So, yeah, Hey Baby, What You Know Good is just like, I guess, some kind of greeting. Just I just love the way that he sings it. It's got a flow that just energises my brain sort of thing, you know what I mean, when I hear the tune, so... I just wanted an uplifting title for the show, so that really related to it for me, so that's why it's called that. If I were to ask you just a very open-ended question about who you are and what you do, what would you say? And by the way, if you can hear breathing, it's Brian who's gone to sleep, but uh, he might wake up shortly. I just, I don't mind it, and I'd like you to enjoy it as much as we do, because he's a very happy, healthy, studio dog <laughs> well I don't know where am I I don't know anymore um, well I sort of do I know where I where I kind of come from but I don't know where I don't know where my place is in the whole game sort of thing um, and that's kind of worked for you to be a little bit of yeah. an outsider I know a, a little bit about where you went to school but I'll let you get into yeah, that yeah well I, well I was at Goldsmiths in the real when it was really starting to rise in the kind of mid 80s yeah. And, and the, your fellow students were Damien Hurst, Sarah yeah. Lucas, yeah. Gary Hume. Gary Hume. Although he got transferred from somewhere, he wasn't there. But you were with the YBAs. Yeah, Mark's Harvey, yeah. yeah. And, and what's crazy is you started by saying you didn't really know your place. And in, with that group of people, yeah. you would have been very much an insider because you were more influenced by the likes of Otto Dix or Edward Hopper yeah, or instead Boyer of or, you know, yeah. formaldehyde. But you know what? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've spoken to Marcus Harvey about this because he interviewed me for the magazine that he edits, Terps, you know, magazine. Yeah. And he said to me, 
did you feel feel it at the time? And I said, no, nah, did you? And we both said the same thing. It's almost like this historical prism that you see the world through, you know? And I don't know if that's how other people feel, but you know what? At the time, yeah, you didn't feel like, oh, this is some finishing school for the art world. The only thing I think that was different, I think, at the time there was that there was an attitude towards being really professional about whatever you were doing, you know what I mean? So, you know, it was like, have a professional outlook on what you were doing. And I don't think other art schools were doing that. Whether they're doing that now, I don't know, but I think it's made, weirdly, a rod for its own back because I think so many people think, you know, they go to art school and they're gonna come out an art star and that ain't the case sort of thing. Whether you like some people's work or not, there was a sort of certain ability and skill and breadth of thought in what they were doing. And I think that was quite a common thing at Goldsmiths at the time. You know, you had people like Mike Landy was there. I was good mates with Mike Landy. But yeah, I just think that they, you know, my tutor was Basil Beatty. He was a kind of really an abstract painter. I mean, there's figurative elements in his work, but there was that tradition still hanging on at Goldsmiths of a painting school. And so I think coming from the background I came from, which was all basically you got came out and you got a trade, you didn't go to college. I had that kind of, I guess it is a working class sensibility that you've got to work to get ahead. And and so I, I had that in me making art, which might sound bizarre, but it... No, it sounds uh, important. Yeah. Cause that, think, was, that served you quite well. Yeah, because when I, when I left Goldsmiths, I set up a couple of really crappy little shows in like a downstairs basement of a vegetarian restaurant and stuff like that. And uh, Whereabouts? That was in Greenwich. And, right. uh, you know, it was damp and everything. But I've still got photos of the private view and actually Damien's there at the private view. That's great. Sort of thing. And, uh, That's uh, great. So there was a sense of community. Yeah, so yeah. people came who I was at Goldsmiths with, even though I'd left six months before. And, yeah, that's but, great. And they right? were all still there, you know, because they were he was a year below me. And like I say, so yeah, it gave me, it gave me a good grounding at Goldsmiths, even though I did, I never felt I was swimming against the tide, but I guess I was. I kind of had a sense I was, let's say, you know. Has a long-winded way to answer all that, wasn't it? It was good. We got <laughs> yeah. a lot in because I wanted to move into the next thing that's so clear when I look at, you know, Hey Baby, What You Know Good and the pieces that are in it, The Return of the Ain't, Wicker Park. If that's what you want, check, change, go where, juicily carpeted. You take references from other movies and, and yeah. definitely the, the soft politics mm. if i could say soft politics because some sometimes i think they're just very deep politics of soul music mm. it's also talking about class without talking about class seems mm. to be essential in your work yeah i think so yeah because i think i know there's stuff to do with politics and class and that in my work but i don't like to ram it down people's throats, you know what I mean? So there's a kind of thing that goes on in my work where I, I'll see things, I'll see things out on the street. You know, it was like when I had my studio in Chicago years ago, and it was in a really shitty part of Chicago. I don't mean shitty, like shitty. It was, it was a place that had seen, it seen better times maybe, but it was starting to get regenerated, which is happening in all over London. So the only place I, that I love because all my grandparents were born there, is I compare it to, is Deptford, which has, for about the last 30 years, been, it's going to be the next big thing. And it's still 
not quite the next big thing. It's kind of, it's happening, but there's still an integral part of like people who come from there. Do you know what I mean? Which is what I love about it. Cause I go to Deptford market, get me fruit and veg and fish off of blokes I've been getting it off of for years. It's the real cosmopolitan rub of London when you go to Deptford Market on a Saturday. There's every sort of colour, every whatever kind of person under the sun there, you know what I mean? And it's... So when I was in Chicago, I got dropped into this area called Wicker Park and... And one of the paintings is named after Yeah, that. yeah. And, uh, and then when I got there, the guy who set me up to go there was some said he was a patron of arts anyway it was a building that had low it was an old department store and it had uh it had loads of independent art galleries but like artist studios in there and i got there and i thought this is a bit rough around the edges this place anyway once i got settled there i met a big afro-american guy who lived across the cor- corridor from me because i'd had a bit of a scary incident happen where this bloke had knocked on my door and i really couldn't realize i couldn't lock the doors so i had to batten all the doors up so I, I went and knocked at this door opposite me on the corridor, and this, like I say, this Afro-American guy opens the door, and he's built like a freak shit house, and then he sort of turns out he's an ex-US paratrooper, but he worked in community uh, drama with like local black kids in Southside Chicago, and I palled up with him, and he just took me out the first night, and we walked around the streets, we went and had something to eat together, and he just went. Don't talk to them. Talk to them. They're really all right. They're not all right. Right. And it was brilliant. So I got a real... Because I was walking around with him, everyone knew him. His name was Jerry. And we just walked around and it was like he introduced me to people. And then I felt, do you know what? This is like Deptford, but I'm just in a different country. You know, the lingo's different. I'm in America. They're not maybe going to understand me if I speak really quickly in in a South London way. But I ended up meeting people there who lived on the streets, who'd had jobs, you know? So in that painting, there's a guy in Wicker Park who was called DC, he's under my elbow in that painting, and he lived on the newspaper vending machines. He'd sleep on them at night in a sleeping bag. I used to buy him, like, hot dogs and stuff. And then he'd tell you, you know, he used to tune cars and then he got deaf in one ear... And then he's, you know, I can only believe him, you know what I mean? And he said his wife left him and then he was living on the streets. And then and I guess, yeah, I wanted to bring some of that stuff into the painting and kind of people go, oh, well, who's that bloke under, you know, behind you in the distance under your elbow? But, but what you capture in those paintings mm-hmm. is this almost uh, more is happening outside of the canvas Mm. and you're always interested in what's going on outside of the canvas like the one on the easel right now what's the title of that one right you can't always get what you want i just wonder if you deal with identity issues around being a man in today's society or um, we've talked about class before Mm. um, this idea that the english bull terrier may be your alter ego yeah he is yeah (laughs) I mean, there were defined roles for men 50 years ago. They're not so defined anymore. And I feel sometimes that there's a bit of historical... These pieces look timeless, but they also look like of a time when they have a feeling of gangster films sometimes, mm-hmm. where men are tribes and they go around taking care of business outside of a day-to-day job. They're not essentially like that. I mean, it's funny, because when I got that quote from a woman who wrote about me and GQ of I'm the Martin Scorsese of painting sort of thing. 
say if I look at a film like Goodfellas, what I wasn't taken by, when I first saw that 30 odd years ago or whatever, it wasn't so much a story about that whole, you know, that world of hierarchy and stuff that's going to, I was more into the visuals yeah. of it than anything. And I, that that was the thing that got me. That's always got me about Scorsese. And you know what? I think probably my favourite Scorsese film is Mean Streets, which is actually, I think it's his first one, isn't it? With De Niro and Harvey Cartel. Yeah, and that's beautifully shot. But I'm interested in all the stuff of like the guilt in it and the Catholicism, because my mum's a, my mum's a cat from a Catholic family, and uh, and yeah, there's all that kind of there's all that kind of guilt that comes with that as well. And then Harvey Keitel's going out with the the Sister. girl, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, who's got epilepsy, but it's all has to be kept under the carpet, and there's a shame to it and stuff like it's that. Reside, yeah, that's it. So I'm interested in all that, and I love the visuals. So. But I like sort Pathos. of yeah, I like yeah, I like yeah, exactly yeah. You said it. So yeah. Can you talk to me about this painting? It's a a car and Brian, and the composition is crazy. Yeah. Because everything's almost off the canvas. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's a, a, and it's another letterbox, which is great. It gives that cinematic yeah. feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 a painting. I mean, the Garrett the Garrett. What's Gar the title of it? It's, it's called uh, Schneider's Fuck, and uh, and it's about. You know, it's, it's about when things don't quite go as you expected them to, sort of thing. And this, I mean, the the garages in it are paintings about where one place. They're kind of based on garages where I, when I was a teenager, and I had mates who had scooters like Vespers and Lambrettas and stuff. Is this back in the late seventies, early eighties, I guess? And. Uh, and they used to mend their scooters around the back there, and you, you know, you jump. I was probably too young to ride one, but you'd jump on one and you could ride them around the garages. But then I just was like trying to do a worlds colliding kind of painting sort of thing, uh, I guess, with the car, because that wasn't the kind of car you'd see around there. And uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I guess it's about when you've got expectations about where things are going to go, and then they don't quite work out which is with loads of shit in life, isn't it, really? You know what I mean? It happens to you every day. So it's kind of about that sort of thing, really. So we'll move to the canvas that's on the easel beside Snide. Yeah. And it's called uh, Dreaming of Those Times and those beautiful browns in it. It's a picture of a man looking out the window, but the picture's drawn from the inside of a car. Yeah, And he's yeah. a passenger in the car. Yeah, he's a passenger in the car. And then he's, you know... I, I think it was from a little clip of something I saw really late at night. I couldn't sleep. And I just got up and started watching, stuck the telly on. And my wife was still in bed and I was just like thinking, I've got to get up and make a hot chocolate and just chill out with the dog, just put any, something on that's interesting. And then I just sort of seem to remember this guy driving through a park and it was in, it was in a classic Jag or something that he was in. And then it just cut to him being in the car looking out the window in quite a reflective way. So again, I just did, I did, didn't draw essentially from it, but I just made a little thumbnail sketch just because I thought, well, I'm gonna go back to bed at some point and I'll forget this. So I just made a little scribbly biro drawing, you know, somewhere like in a bit of scrap paper or something. But then when I got up the next day, I was like, oh yeah, that was from that I was watching last night. And then I just, 
yeah, just refined it more on the canvas, sort of from what I could remember, sort of thing. And I think it is, it's a painting about reflection. You know, that's it. it that's, that's it, full stop. And it's like dreaming of those times where all, it's that whole thing of like, you know, I guess this is, could be political. It's like you're dreaming of what times, what dreaming of love he lost, dreaming of the times when we ruled the world and what we've gone through in the recent years of like, in inverted commas, getting our country back and have we really, and what were we getting back and what were people dreaming of, you know what I mean? And uh, dreaming of times that they never actually experienced, but it's, an, it's I, I think there's a, I, I, I'll probably pronounce it wrong because a friend of mine told me how to pronounce it correctly. It, it's spelled S-A-U-D-A-D-E and it's a Portuguese word. And it basically, in one word, it means dreaming of experience, yeah, that you never experience. And I think, I think maybe the world's going through that, but I do think on this aisle that we live on, we're really going through it. And I guess that's why I'm drawn to things like the work of James Elroy, the writer James Elroy, because he writes about, say, America in the 50s and 60s, but he makes a fiction around factual events which always appeals to me as well and he will talk about stuff and say well was there an ever, ever a golden era because I don't think there ever was and I don't think there ever will be so I'm always fascinated by that you know people going oh yeah the good old days and all this sort of stuff and the small faces <laughs> another back of a car yeah three men yeah two in conversation one looking out the window yeah well it's the same it's the same character i'll just cruise in the one in you can't always get what you want so i like playing around that's where the filmic stuff comes in so it's almost like different characters pop up in different paintings and you think well i've seen him in something before you know but that's just really that's to do with i guess that i i always really liked the small faces when i was young the band because I was a young mod and uh, not back in the 60s, I must stress, but you know, in the mod revival. And, uh, but I really liked them because they were essentially an East London working class bunch of lads who were, who were a bunch of mods who sort of, you know, formed the band. And then they, they got absolutely ripped off left, right and centre. And, but I kind of, I don't know, they, 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 they kind of appealed to me. They were a bit, I guess, you know, they were before my time, but I liked their kind of attitude, you know what I mean? They'd, and I guess that has, was taken on by people like Paul Weller, you know, who's just been a constant throughout my, you know, what he's kind of said with, within Paul Weller's work is politically and socially, you know, has always really, you know, struck a chord with me. And now we've got Briar rolling around, giving us a performance. You've won a lot of awards. Mm -hmm. Artist in residence at Eton College, Founders Painting Prize at ING Discerning Eye. You were also in the best of 60 painters in Britain. Was I? Yeah, I think a show with Lucy and Freud oh, yeah, yeah, and that, Francis that, Bacon. That was like, yeah, that, that, that was a figurative, uh, it was like a figurative painting show. But yeah, that was the Norman Foster building, the one that he designed at University of East Anglia. It's like the Sainsbury's collection. And uh, so I was in that, and then it was at the Walker Art Gallery at Liverpool. So it was kind of, yeah, it was quite a buzz when I got asked to be in that, because I went up for the opening on a 
Friday night and I just saw who was in it, but it wasn't until they did this kind of speeches upstairs and then the galleries were downstairs, sort of basement level. And uh, I just remember walking down this big stop spiral staircase with my wife at the private view. They did all the speeches upstairs and they said, right, the exhibition's open. We all walked down. As I walked down the spiral staircase, there was a Francis Bacon in front of me. And as I turned left, there was a fucking Lucy and Freud. And then just round the corner, there was my work. And I was like, and that was the first time I'd had that hair standing up on the back of me neck sort of situation, you know. And then you're in selected collections, commissions with the British Museum, the Victoria and Albert, mm. at the National Portrait Gallery. Mm. I could keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, that was good. The, the National Portrait Gallery, that was actually, that's the painting I did of the ex-heavyweight boxer, world champion Lennox Lewis back in, that was back in the 90s. And, um, and I had to go and spend a couple of days. It, were, it, was, it was a weird one. I actually got commissioned by the Telegraph to paint him. And I got rung up by this incredibly posh woman one day from there. And then she said to me, we'll commission you to do, we want to do an article on Lennox Lewis when we have drawings and a painting to illustrate the article. So I, I like boxing. And so I said, yeah. And then he was training in the old Kent Road. So it was a bus ride for me. And so I went and spent two days in the gym with him, which was really interesting. And he was a really nice bloke, really articulate, really smart. The only time I got really scared was when he asked me to get in the ring with him. And he was about six foot, God knows what. And he was only pl playing, joshing with me, but he was shadow boxing around me and I was shitting <laughs> myself. But I managed to get enough drawings together in the two days. And then I did quite an unconventional portrait of him, which was like panoramic. It was about one of the only times I could get him still at the end of a day and he was being stretched with his arms out behind his back by his kit man and his trainer was talking to him, really getting him to focus and concentrate. And I thought, this is my moment. So I jumped in the ring, sat down, did a drawing and that's what I based the painting on. And then the National Portrait Gallery got wind of it and they asked if we donate it to the collection, sort of, or if they, yeah, if the Telegraph would let, and they, and they, they said, would you be happy? And I went, yeah, of course I would. But I was Is there, it still hanging there. It's not in, not hanging at the moment. But when I made this documentary with this young Belgian filmmaker about six years ago, we actually got access to it, and we went up and filmed in the National Gallery, um, and we're looking at the painting again, sort of thing. So it's, I guess, when they probably do some big sporting show at some point, you know, it'll get dragged out of the archives. But yeah, it's there, it's there for life. And um, so that's, that's all right. It's a good string to have to your bow sort of thing, really. So your new body of work called Hey Baby, What You Know Good opens when at uh, Beaux Arts? Yeah, it opens, it's, it's, a, it's a whole weekend opening. It's on the Saturday the 14th and Sunday 15th of May, and it's 11 to five both days. Anyone can come, as far as I know. And it's really beautiful. It's facing onto Kew Green, right next to Kew Gardens. Yeah. It's 40 Kew Green, London, TW93AZ. That's Don't perfect. Don't miss it. That's perfect, Maeve. Well done. <laughs> Ray Richardson, thank you so much for your time. Uh, cheers, Maeve. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening.